Section 16 of the Democracy of the Constitution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Annie Rue. The Democracy of the Constitution and Other Addresses and Essays by Henry Cabot Lodge. The Origin of Certain Americanisms. Part 2. Turning from words and phrases which are admitted to good verbal society, there are some curious and ancient pedigrees to be found for others, which do not now pass beyond popular speech, and are in many instances still lower in the scale, never having risen above the level of slang. Tramps, for vagrants, has risen to an established position, and may be said to be accepted in literature. But its lowly origin as convenient slang is still recent and yet i find that it was used by de quincey who says tramps as they are called in solemn acts of parliament so the ancestry of this americanism is not only english but has statutory recognition slouch as a noun and generally in the form he's no slouch to express extreme effectiveness or skill was widely used some years ago in the united states the word is good english in other connections and in the slang form was vigorous and expressive but we cannot claim priority of invention for this phrase for gay in his first pastoral writes thou vaunting slouch i also noticed that michael kelly in his reminiscences published in eighteen twenty five says captain stanley for whom manly years was no slouch at the bottle which shows that phrase was current in england at the time many years older than slouch used as slang was the use of the word notions in popular american speech and especially in new england where it might be seen as a sign over village shops to indicate to passers-by that all sorts of things and particularly articles of dress might be bought within yankee notions was a current and common phrase this like so many other words in america was a case of survival in the new world of usage which had faded out in the old how old it was i do not know but that it was well understood in england in the american sense during the eighteenth century is clear for young in his night thoughts has these lines and other worlds send odors sauce and song and robes and notions framed in foreign looms yankee notions which smacked so strongly of new england in earlier days reminds me of the old pronunciation in that part of the country of shire as sheer within thirty years shire town was generally pronounced sheer town by the country folk of new england this pronunciation or that which makes it sure continues of course universally where shire is a final syllable but when used alone or at the beginning of a word phonetic spelling has triumphed and shire is pronounced as spelled yet the old yankee pronunciation was not only the old english practice but was that of cultivated society in queen anne's day we may read it in the prologue to the satires where pope writes a hireling scribbler or a hireling peer knight of the post corrupt or of the sheer swift on the other hand makes shire as a termination rhyme with higher which would be rather forced even at the present day there is another word now growing old-fashioned i think much used on the coast in fishing and i believe formerly at least widely used in a figurative sense signifying to entice or draw on by degrees this is the verb toll 
whether it survives in england i do not know but in american speech it still continues as a well understood and descriptive term if it be an americanism it is one of our earliest settlers brought it with them from england where it then mingled in the best society for we find it in use by fletcher in the faithful shepherdess or voices calling me in the dead of night to make me follow and so toll me on through mire and standing pools to find my ruin the fact that mr dice thinks a note necessary to explain the meaning of toll leads me to believe that since the days of fletcher it has become an americanism and has been lost to british speech there is another phrase common in new england if not in the united states generally which has an equally long and even more distinguished pedigree it occurs in inquiries as to distance or in stating distance by asking how far do you call it to the next town mrs stopes in her lives of the burbages quotes from macbeth the line how far tis called to forest and argues that as this is a pure scotch idiom it shows that shakespeare must have been in scotland as i have just said the phrase has always been common use in new england which was settled in the seventeenth century by shakespeare's englishmen and to which came at that time very few if any scotch some years ago a southern member of congress used the phrase where are we at which had a success little anticipated i imagine by its author for it was caught up by the newspapers and passed widely into the current speech of the moment i think it gained its attraction not merely because it was expressive but because it was thought odd and ungrammatical however this may be the phrase was not new for lee hunt in his introduction to the dramatists of the restoration writes the dramatic power of wycherley would not have known what to be at with the unseasonable and arbitrary superfluities of dryden the parallel is not exact but the relationship is very close what to be at in the sense of what to do is not far removed from where are we at in the sense of where are we lee hunt i am sorry to say was guilty of something much worse than this despite the fact that he was not only a graceful writer but an accomplished man and both a lover and student of literature he let fall from his pen the entirely odious word brainy it is of course quite true that we have both hearty and handy as slang and nervy but this fact does not seem to make brainy any more tolerable or attractive i fear that this word must now be called an americanism for it may be frequently seen in our newspapers and not even the example of lee hunt can redeem it from its utter hideousness the fact is and it always seems a very strange one that many of our newspaper writers especially our reporters when they sit down to address the public do so in a strange language found only when talking or writing to their wives their children or their friends i commend to their consideration the following passage from macaulay's essay on johnson when he wrote for the publication he did his sentences out of english into johnsonese his letters from the hebrides to mrs thrale are the original work of that which the journey to the hebrides is the translation and it is amusing to compare the two versions when we were taken upstairs he says in one of his letters a dirty fellow bounced out of bed on which one of us was to lie this incident is recorded in the journey as follows out of one of the beds on which we were to repose started up at our entrance a man black as cyclops from the forge 
sometimes johnson translated aloud the rehearsal he said very unjustly has not wit enough to keep it sweet then after pause it has not vitality enough to preserve it from putrefaction johnson was a great man from whom much wisdom may be learned but here he gives us a vivid example by his own bad habit of what to avoid if all newspaper men would only write as they talk more carefully of course and without slang but in the plain simple excellent words of their daily speech they would render a real service both to their fellow-citizens and to the english language and they would keep clear of such repulsive coinages as brainy and of such abuses of language and meaning as the employment of probe in the sense of an inquiry or investigation this objectionable word brainy however reminds me of another slang term which has lately come into vogue this is dotty signifying the decay of the faculties or debility of mind i was interested to discover in the life of edward fitzgerald that dotty with precisely the same significance as the modern slang was used by the suffolk peasants probably therefore it is a very ancient word although a recent immigrant to the united states there is another word of interest not only in itself but on account of the brutal action which it represented in the first half of the nineteenth century both word and custom were held to be characteristically american and were flung at us as a reproach every reader of bon Gaultier's ballads will remember the very savage one about jabez dollar which attacked us for every conceivable shortcoming but particularly for gouging as a recognized mode of fighting by forcing out an opponent's eyeball with a thumb or finger how generally this barbarous and unflatteringly brutal form of attack was diffused among the criminal classes or the wild and rough population of the frontier it is impossible to say there is no doubt that this mode of savage fighting as well as the word which described it was unfortunately well known at that period in the united states but we come by it by descent both word and habit existed in yorkshire mrs gaskell in her life of charlotte bronte when describing haworth writes as few shirked their liquor the occasion was funeral feasts there were very frequently up and down fights before the end of the day sometimes with the horrid additions of pausing apparently a peculiarly painful mode of kicking and gouging and biting from this part of england where is also found the very characteristic american word bottom to describe low-lying lands in the valley came many immigrants to colonial and provincial america bringing their words and customs good or bad with them and gouging was one of the latter so the british satirist with his eyes tight shut toward yorkshire held us up to scorn as particularly guilty of a particularly brutal kind of fighting there seems to be a moral to be drawn from this identification of the origin of a word and custom and that is that it is well to exercise a little charity as well as to know one's ground before accusing one's neighbor of either barbarism or bad english indeed all the pedigrees which i have brought together and which have been gathered casually without research from authors whom every one reads teach us the same lesson there is no particular satisfaction although there is some amusement in pointing out the origin of words and phrases which reveal the absurdity of the british fault-finding that sets them down as americanisms and vulgar distortions of our common speech 
but there is something far more important than this involved in any study no matter how slight of the varying forms of english words and that is the language itself people ordinarily accept the language to which they are born as they do the air they breathe without any feeling of either responsibility or gratitude thousands of people especially children and college students are set or set themselves to the work of acquiring foreign tongues a most commendable labor and never learn or even seek to learn how to speak properly or write intelligently the noble language which is theirs as a birthright yet is the english language one of our greatest and most precious possessions to be jealously watched and guarded to take only the practical side i have often wondered how many people have stopped to consider that our language is one of the greatest bonds which holds the union together perhaps the strongest as it is the most impalpable of all if it were not for our common speech lincoln's mystic chords would be dumb indeed in the language too lies the best hope of assimilating and americanizing the vast masses of immigrants who every year pour out upon our shores for when these newcomers learn the language they inevitably absorb in greater or less degree the traditions and beliefs the aspirations and the modes of thought the ideals and the attitude toward life which that language alone enshrines these immeasurable gifts have a peculiar significance to us of the new world but in addition are those no less beneficent which all who speak the english share in common to possess english as a birthright opens to every man so born without effort and without price the greatest literature except that of greece which the world has known it makes us kin to both teutonic and the latin languages and the doors to both these great literatures open easily to any of us who enter in a few years ago a german philologist committed the words in some of the principal modern languages and found that english had two hundred and sixty thousand in its vocabulary next longo intervallo came german with eighty thousand words then italian with seventy five thousand french with thirty thousand turkish with twenty two thousand five hundred and spanish with twenty thousand mere size of vocabulary as the french figaro said in commenting upon the figures does not imply literary excellence or the reverse literary deficiency but the enormous number of english words so much greater apparently than that of any other modern tongue shows beyond question the assimilative expansive quality of the language as well as its richness and flexibility it proves that the language has grown and spread with the growth and spread of the people who speak it keeping pace with the exploration of all comers of the globe and with the multiplication of industries and the widening of knowledge in the number of people who speak it and in its distribution throughout the world it comes to-day nearer to being a world language than any other now spoken such language with its history and traditions with its literature and its unequalled richness is a great heritage and the duty devolves upon all to whom it belongs as a birthright to guard and cherish it to preserve its purity and strength and in order that it may retain its commanding place not to encourage and cultivate differences but to strive to secure the greatest possible uniformity in its use in all the quarters of the globe the importance of uniformity in usage 
not only the quality but to the growth and spread of the language can hardly be overestimated uniformity in pronunciation cannot be hoped for because variations in pronunciation will range from the strange dialects of remote and isolated communities to those fine shades of difference which exist even among the best educated people who are in contact with the world of men and books and which are of little practical importance men may be capable of keeping their minds unchanged when they change their sky but not the manner in which they sound their vowels and consonants the fact that a hundred miles is enough sometimes to cause a difference in the manner in which people speaking precisely the same language sound the letter a for instance is sufficient to show how inept it is to talk about phonetic spelling but although uniform pronunciation desirable no doubt but not essential may be unattainable substantial uniformity in meaning and spelling is not only attainable but practically attained no matter where a book or newspaper may be written or printed everyone in the english-speaking world can read it this is the uniformity which should be seditiously maintained for confusion of multiplication of forms either of meaning or spelling would be disastrous to the language uniformity of meaning can be trusted in the long run to take care of itself either by the process of adopting new meanings or abandoning old but spelling excites a constant desire among many persons to effect instantaneous reforms and improvements for both reforms and improvements seem so delightfully obvious and so easy to accomplish no one will deny that there are many english words in which spelling might be advantageously simplified and the natural movement of the language has been in this direction but the attempt to effect such changes suddenly and arbitrarily seems to be as undesirable as it is difficult i read not long ago since defoe's complete gentleman which has been printed for the first time from the original manuscript in the british museum spelling reformers can find in its pages authority for many simplified spellings which would no doubt delight their hearts but we can also find on many pages the same word spelled in different ways the multiplication of silent and double letters and we perceive in short that confusion reigns supreme this book was written only a few years before johnson brought out his dictionary and thereby rendered the inestimable service of erecting a standard thus producing a uniformity in spelling which never existed before since johnson's time the whole movement of the language has been towards simplification and silent letters have been not only silently but steadily disappearing there are those who think that this is best to allow the language to work out its own destiny in its own way in accordance with its genius and spirit it is possible that if mr archer's plan of a meeting of representative scholars and writers from all parts of the english-speaking world who should agree on certain changes in spelling were carried out spelling might be simplified at one blow and at the same time uniformity be preserved but it is absolutely certain that no self-constituted committee no association here or there no executive order no body of men representing only themselves or groups of individuals in one or even two countries can force a sudden reform in spelling such attempts only add confusion and it is infinitely better to express an idea by a clumsy symbol which everybody uses than to try to inject a far more accurate symbol which only a small minority will employ 
as things are it is much better to permit the language to work out its own modifications as it does its extensions in its own way the cardinal object of all who love the english language should be to maintain its strength and purity and the greatest enemies to strength and purity are the abuse which warps and distorts the meaning of words and the confusion which results from efforts to reform either meanings or spellings to suit the taste and fancy of individuals let us be content with our great possession which has come down to us for the centuries meeting victoriously every chance and adventure and never failing those who have called upon it whether for the simple needs of daily life or to express in the noblest verse the thoughts and visions of the great poets end of section sixteen